Brit, who was 20 years local people, the pastors. And as time's gone on, we've got to know an ever-growing group of, of local pastors and people doing human rights work. But we also have met other expats on the way who've been there for not 20 years, but come and go. The focus this time was on following up on youth conferences that we've been getting funding from a UK charity for for the last eight years for two different groups. In 2017, we didn't go, but we sent, out, we sent money to our friend George that we would have spent so that he could run a series of conferences for teenagers who would be leaving primary school. They had 5,449 5, came from scattered rural areas. And last Sunday, I couldn't help smiling when we were hearing about Jesus feeding the 5,000. But, and this time we're talking about the Good Samaritan. And I'm kind of a conscious of the number of times we pass by on the other side of the road because we can't help them all. But anyway, so the parables are very relevant now. But overall, our friends George and John, who were in another area, reached over 8,000 young people in 2017-18, and a large proportion of them gave their lives to Christ. The challenge is follow-up and discipleship, because life is tough there, the churches have no funds, the pastors and the clergy don't get paid, and the people are mostly subsistence farmers. And I have to say, the women do a lot of the hard work. The areas that we go to have had seasons of flood followed by drought, prices have doubled, and the large herds of cattle have diminished and the staple crops failed. We were there in the hot season, um, and it was about 40 degrees, that's plus or minus 100. And even the local people were saying, it's much hotter than normal, isn't it? It's too hot. So we were quite glad to come back here. We spent two days, quite a wide area, um, evaluating the youth conferences they'd done and challenging them to get into the schools and to encourage the young to come to their churches. We talked about ways to make the Bible more interesting using drama and how to reinterpret them into their culture, which is much more like the biblical culture than ours is, of course. As an aside, we just discovered an organization that sends tens of thousands of Bibles and booklets out around the world for free. And this could be this teaching material, a huge answer to prayer on how they can reach out. Because even if they can access photocopiers, they can't afford to pay for the pages. We also did teaching with them on marriage and family life, stressing that if their churches want to reach out and make a difference, as pastors, they need to set good examples. And we quoted various scriptures and used some of the New Wine Family Time course. We got them to divide into men's groups and women's groups to discuss their main challenges as couples and families and what they feel could or should be changed. 
And I have to say, the women on the whole were pretty angry about the way they're treated. We asked the question, what problem? Unfaithfulness, interference by the in-laws, heavy workload at home, not being included in decision-making or planning, being looked down on, lack of transparency in finances and resources, not being appreciated or shown love, the men coming home late, late and a lot of drunkenness. Or even in some cases, the men not coming home at all. Now, the men in their part of the exercise were very keen to produce the right answers. It's something that they actually knew what the right answers were, and that's what they trotted out. Whether they were actually going to live up to it, hmm, I think work in progress, and I think there is much more to do. We also had a week with four different churches in a rather more remote area, where people are rather similar to the Maasai, the people of Kenya, they're, they're cattle breeders, and their wealth is in their cattle. And if there's no rain, there's no water, and the cattle die. So, not good time. This is in a World Food Programme distribution centre. And it shows you what colourful people they are. And this dress was made for Anne by one of them. So we did similar teaching with this group, um, following on, again, which are growing, and there are more younger people in church, particularly those who've received an education. One Sunday morning, I was due to preach. Not something I do normally, not something I find easy. We were told the service would start at 6.30 but it would be all right if we came at seven. At seven, we turned up. There was a youth setting up the sound system. In fact, not of use, because there's a power cut. <laughs> and two other youth chasing a cockerel. <laughs> Eventually, the cockerel was chased inside the church, cornered and trussed. And it formed part of the offering. It was auctioned and then given to the archdeacon, who served it for our lunch. It was tough. <laughs> right, that is the Archdeacon's house. It's what we would call wattle and daub, except the termites had eaten the wattle and the rats were running inside the daub. And then the, the wind came and tore the roof off, which I'm afraid is rather typical. They've got a small church, which is too small, They've got a new church, which has reached the eaves level and then ran out of money, and this is what the pastor is trying to live in. They have a problem. We were teaching on personality with a view to developing teamwork, leadership, as well as marriage and family life. And the funding that St. John's has given us was sufficient that we were able to feed them during this conference and, and the other conferences. They are most grateful, and we were very glad for that support. We also visited friends, both Ugandan and expatriates, and they seemed to find our visit encouraging. And indeed, at least one of those families is likely to be staying with us later in the year on our way back to the States. Then we had a couple of weekends, right at the beginning and right at the end, with Eric and Rachel. And this is their new house, which has been built from funds generated within the UK. And that is the view from their balcony. And you may not be able to make it out, but that is actually Lake Victoria. And it is a fabulous view.
We are very grateful for your prayers for us when we were out there, and we felt upheld when the tatty vehicles that we'd been lent broke down, fell apart, bits came off, um, or ran out of fuel. We always found ourselves near someone who could help. And although we've done the trip many times, the uncertainties over what is expected of us, what we're actually going to do, can be quite stressful. <laughs> it can be quite stressful. <clears throat> and there was one night where Anne woke in the night and she was praying for me in my stressed state. I have to say that I slept wonderfully that night. <laughs> and the following day, everything came together and, yes, we felt well upheld. He winged it really well that day. <laughs> ah. <laughs> now, this time is a trip that we've now done many times. And you may think of it just something that Marsdens do. Well, I've news for you. Any of you who has skills, skills you've developed during a lifetime, things that you've learned, these are transferable. There are a load of people out there who would love to hear from you, love to learn from you. So it may just have been the Marsdens, the Spiths, but it could be any of you. Does God want to use you? Think about it. And we'll look after you if you want to come. Before you go, Tim and Ank, two or three things we can be praying for, and maybe you can just very briefly lead us in prayer. Is that all right? Lord, we ask that you help us to hear your call, whether it's to do things in our neighborhood or to go to the ends of the earth. Help us to listen, Lord. Lord, we give you permission to draw from us what you have placed within us and what you want to use. And for ourselves, I ask for guidance as to when we should go back and what we should do when we go there. And even those who we should take with us to spread their knowledge, their God-given gifts amongst other people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, I, we pray too for the pastors in Uganda, Lord, that they will find ways to disciple all the young people who've given their lives to the Lord, who see their world changing fast and need to know you. Lord, give them the resources and the help that they need. In Jesus' name, amen. The New Testament reading can be found on page 1612 of the Bibles in the pews and is taken from Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. The law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. 
You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. On the other side, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jeff. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that as we look at it this morning, this story, which is very familiar, may come afresh to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. As most of you probably know, we're following through the known or the nation's best favorite stories in the Bible. And this one is very well known. And uh, we're looking at it today in the series. And I guess that probably everyone here has heard at least one sermon based on this episode in the life of Jesus. And I've almost certainly preached more than one sermon about it sometime during the last 50 years or so. So looking at it again, it initially is a little daunting. But I want to look at the parable today slightly differently. I want to look at it in its setting firstly, rather than go through the story character by character. And trust that this, this episode in the life of Jesus takes place somewhere on his journey to Jerusalem. In the previous chapter, chapter 9 and verse 51, we read, 
As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now that is only, well, it's less than halfway through the Gospel of Luke. But already Luke is pointing out that Jesus knew where he was going. And although this journey is going to be quite long, it wasn't just straight up the A3 or whatever. It went through many towns, visiting friends, through many encounters with both followers and with opponents. But throughout this journey, Jesus is meeting people and teaching his disciples a great deal. At the start of this chapter, we read that he sent out 72 of them to every town and place where he was going to go. So he was sort of preparing the way. And they went out to heal, to speak, and to bless. And even to see demons submitting to the name of Jesus. What an amazing learning time that was for them. But as I said, that's just at the start of quite a long part of the walk, the journey to Jerusalem. When they come back, we hear Jesus praising the Father because of the truths the disciples have been hearing and learning. And what he says is that the truth has often been hidden from the wise and the learned and revealed to little children. This doesn't mean that the wise and the learned can't know the truth, but perhaps too much knowledge can obscure it. We only have to think of some of the great brains who have expressed total doubt in what is written here, the events of it, whether the reality of God or of Jesus. And yet we know it to be true through our own experience. And for every one of the doubters, there's at least one who knows the truth of God's word and the truth about Jesus. So that's the setting. And then Luke follows these words about an, account, an encounter with a lawyer. Certainly someone who would be wise and learned. And he's looking firstly to test Jesus and then later to justify the response to the law. And this meeting may well have taken place in a synagogue or in a town square where the men would customarily gather to discuss and debate the finer points of the law. That was how they learned. Because when we read this, we see at the start that firstly, the lawyer stood up to test Jesus. So it wasn't an encounter in the street. They must have been together somewhere and the lawyer stood up to test him. This man was obviously an expert on the Torah, the law, and although the word says test, it's not absolutely certain that he was trying to catch Jesus out. As I said, much of their learning and teaching was done in the form of question and debate. One of them would say, what do you make of? 
and quote something from Leviticus or Deuteronomy. And another would say, well, I think, and another would say, well, I They may well, therefore, have been discussing the po this point already. And Jesus was there or he came there. And this lawyer thought, I wonder what this new rabbi believes. There's an echo of this question in Acts 2 at Pentecost when the crowd who hear Peter speaking ask, what must we do in response to the word of God? And then again in Acts 16 in Philippi, you'll remember in the Philippian, Philippian jailer when the jail is broken open. What must I do to be saved, he cries. The answers there are firstly, repent and be baptized. And then to the jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus. But here, probably as was the custom when they were learning, teaching, debating, Jesus responds with a question of his own. You're the expert on the law, you tell me. Now, of course, the lawyer, who no doubt spends a great deal of time studying the law, knows the answer. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. A neighbor as yourself. And that verse from Deuteronomy, the first one, is part of the Shema, the part of the Jewish law which every devout Jew would recite every day. So he knew it off by heart, of course. But Jesus then replied, well, do this and you will live. And that prompts another question from the lawyer. Before we look at that, though, we do need to remind ourselves that, in fact, what the Hebraic law tells us here, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, love your neighbor as yourself. That's impossible. It's impossible for each one of us to keep that every moment of every day, which is why when we meet together, we acknowledge our need of God's forgiveness. And Ian said, look back during the week, and there must be something during the week that you think, I should have done or I shouldn't have done. So it is impossible. Not one of us can keep that law every moment of every day. We need the love of God, we need the mercy of God, and we need the love of Jesus, our Savior, to intercede and intervene on our behalf. So briefly to that second question, who is my neighbor? I understand that I'm not an expert, but I understand that on a daily basis, devout Jews prayed, I thank God that I'm not a woman and I'm not a Gentile. A bit un-PC, obviously. But Jesus wants to point out a truth. And it's interesting that despite that prayer, the law, which that lawyer knew back to front, 
does not limit the acceptance of others purely to fellow Jews. In Leviticus 19.34, it says, the alien, and that's a non-Jew, the alien living with you must be treated as one of your native-born. Love him as yourself. And yet, as I say, that daily prayer, thank God I'm not a Gentile. So that bit of the law was forgotten. This question is really saying, the lawyer is really saying to Jesus, come on then, you define the boundaries so that I know who I don't have to love. You see, who is my neighbor? Well, then tell me, because then I know who I won't have to love. And if it is, if that's behind it, then it really backfires, doesn't it? In this wonderful parable of love for one's fellow. So then briefly, a few thoughts about the parable itself. Note first that when Jesus tells this story, he doesn't define what nationality the victim was. He doesn't say whether he was a Jew, a Gentile, a Samaritan. It was a man. And he was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. We don't know why. Don't forget, this is a parable. It's not a, a true event that happened down Stein Road or whatever. It's a parable. It's a story to illustrate. But the man could have been from anyone, anywhere. Secondly, after falling into the hands of robbers, two people to demonize the priest and the Levite. We might think that they should have gone straight to his aid. We might wish that they'd gone straight to his aid. But you know, there may be very legitimate reasons why they passed by without offering help. And Ian, when we had our confession time, said there are times when something intrudes between what we should do and what we do do. Yes, they maybe we can say they should have helped, but there may have been very good reasons why perhaps they didn't. Thirdly, Jesus really does, verse 33, really does emphasize the reaction of the Samaritan. He saw him. He took pity on him. And that word pity is a really, really, really strong word. It's actually the base of the word compassion. And if you know your Gospels, you know that often that word is spoken of. Jesus looked at someone and had compassion. And it's, it's a brilliant... Um, is it onomatopoeia? No, not onomatopoeia. Anyway, the word is in Greek, splankna. Splankna. And it actually means feeling from your bowels, your very strength, your very center. Not just your heart, your whole being. It's a really powerful word. The Samaritan had compassion on that man. 
as I say, it's a word which is often used about Jesus, the strength of feeling for another. Fourthly, if we can go on, there's the response of the lawyer to the question. I'm not going through the story bit by bit by bit. As I say, I just wanted to look at the characters. And there's the response of the lawyer to the question, which of these was a neighbor? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. I wonder who you would have said. I probably would have said, well, the Samaritan. Maybe the expert in the law couldn't bear to mention the name of that people who were low. So maybe he just said, the one who had mercy on him. And then finally, the words of Jesus. Go and do likewise. No compromise there. Go and do likewise. So to finish this morning, I have two questions. I didn't have two questions when I came in, but I now have two questions, thanks to Elaine. The first question which I had in my notes is, with whom do you, in this story, do you identify with? And Elaine's question, which they received when they were praying about the service, why are you here today? Are you like the lawyer? Would you like to know more about God and about Jesus? Unlike the lawyer, we have the whole of God's word to help us in our search. We can pray, but we can also study the Bible ourselves. We can join a house group, and we can learn in our fellowship together. That's where we will learn the truth about the Lord and about Jesus. Are you like the wounded man needing help? We have a ministry team here. If that's you, then please don't leave this morning without sharing your need with someone else. We love praying with people. We love seeing God working in the lives in us and through us. Are you like the priest and the Levite? Do you sometimes say, well, normally I'd try to help, but other things today are pressing on me and they demand my attention first. I'm sure we all do that at times. Or are you like the Samaritan, ready and willing to help when a need arises? I would suggest that we are like, at times, each one of these characters. And my prayer today would be, our lives would reflect his love. And, like the Samaritan in the story, 
change lives for the better. Amen. Mm -hmm.